Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arn is with me. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Uh, Dwayne screwed everything up last week, and we didn't end on the right time. And so, of course, we're going to blame Dwayne for that. But Dr. Arn is back with me to finish the River War. Dr. Arn, aren't you amazed Dwayne screwed that up last week and lost track of what segment we were in? We have to retire the title, The Faultless Dwayne. Yeah, well, that was retired a long time. And now that I am Sirdar of, of Hillsdale, yeah. that was already done. And that, by the way, is there an office for the Sirdar of Hillsdale anywhere up there? Yeah, it's outside, though. <laughs> okay. Look, I wanted to do this right away. We screwed this up, and I wanted to tape it right away because we were building to the climax, which was the Battle of Omdurman, and I left it out. And people need to read that this this two paragraphs. Three new screw gunboats of the largest size and most formidable pattern had been passed over the indefatigable railway in sections and were now launched on the clear waterway south of Atbara encampment, not the least the 21st Lancers. The author had led it, and then he has a footnote. The author led a troop in this regiment during the final advance to Omdurman, and it is from this standpoint that the ensuing chapters are to some extent conceived. So all of a sudden, the author walks onto the stage, and now we're going to get a first-person account, Dr. Arn, and it's magnificent. Oh, yeah. Well, this is, uh, this. I, I'm going to read a paragraph in a minute that's, I think, one of the most important and revealing paragraphs Churchill ever wrote. But it's about this scene that he's just set up. And I, I can describe it this way. In the conflict between the Texas Rangers and the U.S. Cavalry, and and uh, the Comanche, Churchill is on the side of the Comanche. Yeah. And in the conflict between General Gordon and Her Herbert Kitchener, Churchill is on the side of General Gordon, where courage and insight and adventure and energy dominate war. And and those are gone now, Churchill fears. And he, you know, is very much, Churchill was minister of munitions, in the First World War, toward the end, his job was to produce all those shells that pummeled the world into flatness. And so he, he, when he walks onto that battlefield, he walks on to a stage where is revealed the rest of his life to him and to us. And he sees. What is the paragraph you want to read? I have a couple myself, but I, I want you to tell people what they most need to know about the dervish the battle. I mean, it's a it's a slaughter, but it's a close run thing. The Lancers have to charge. Yeah, well, that's later. See, so the battle proceeds in two stages. Right. And the first stage is the main dervish army charges the British prepared position along the river across open ground. And it's where he describes that, that the horror comes. Now, after they have destroyed the Dervish Army, which I'll describe in a minute. After that, then they become a race to the city of Khartoum from this plain of Omdurman. And that is an open, a broken field, open run. 
And that's where the cavalry comes into contact with the dervishes. And that is warfare on more equal terms. And that's the warfare that Churchill fought in. And, and they were, you know, so it, it uh, and so you have to just imagine the British are, they've come down in their gunboats, they're right against the Nile. They're on the, if you look north, they're on the left side of the west side of the river. And they have built a zariba, which is a light entrenchment uh, with a kind of fence in a semicircle. And they're all behind it. And they've got guns and artillery and machine guns and soldiers. If I remember right, and I haven't looked it up, 25,000 British and yeah. somewhere between 35 and 50,000 dervishes. They don't know how many. And, and they're all packed there. And the dervishes charge. And they charge from a mile away. And they can be seen. It's when like Pickett's charge only without any weapons on the side of the dervishes that could possibly reach the cannon on the top of Seminary Ridge. And when Churchill uh, describes this, I'm going to pick out two bits. Uh, uh, I, and I, I, I'm sorry, I have my ebook here and I can't tell people where to go. But if you read in the chapter of the Battle of Omdurman, it's not hard to find these passages. Um, uh, uh, there's a paragraph that begins, the dervish center had come within range. Uh, uh, if there was one arm in which the Arabs were beyond all comparison inferior to their adversaries, it was in guns. Yet it was with this arm that they opened their attack. Uh, and so they, they come up. The white flags, that's the lead dervish detachment, and, you know, think 30 to 50,000 men. There's a small town, a small city coming at them, right? The white flags were nearly over the crest. In another min minute, they would become visible to the batteries. Did they realize what would come to meet them? They were in a dense mass, 2,800 yards from the 32nd field battery and the gunboats. The ranges were known. It was a matter of machinery. The more distant slaughter passed unnoticed as the mind was fascinated by the approaching horror. See, he's seeing the enemy and they're coming to kill him and he feels for them. I mean, he he's, this is 50 years before the end of World War II. I want people to understand over the next 50 years, millions of men will climb out of trenches and run towards up millions of men and will get mowed down and Churchill sees it first. This is not, this is not fair. And he understands it's not fair. And it, it affected everything he did for the rest of his life in warfare and other things too. And so he was cautious about war. I was saying to a certain governor who might run for president the other day, I said, I don't want you to be one of those guys who wants to prove your military credential and trots out Winston Churchill in favor of war. Because war... Good, good well said. After the, the first charge is broken and the dervishes are laying by the tens of thousands dead, their race begins to cartoon. And here Churchill writes uh, of the beautiful white devil of the gunboat protecting him, the trumpet jerked out a shrill note, 
On an instant, the 16 troops swing round and locked up into a long galloping line, and the 21st Lancers were committed to their first charge in war. The dervishes fought manfully. Within two minutes of the collision, every living man of the Brits was clear of the dervish mass. All who had fallen were cut at with swords until they stopped quivering. Five officers, 65 men, 119 horses killed or wounded. And he calls out his commanding officer, Colonel Martin, who, quote, busy with the direction of his regiment, drew neither sword nor revolver and rode through the press unarmed and uninjured, foreshadowing Churchill in combat in World War One and during the Battle of Britain. <laughs> yeah, there's this yeah. Colonel Martin who just wanders through, say, go here, go there, and it doesn't, th- nothing touches him. He, and see, you, you keep jumping ahead after the battle is really over, because that's when Churchill got into it. And he yes. got into the fair, fair part, right? A bunch of guys on horses charge the spot. They think they see a line of dervish, but the de- desert undulates, and they go over the hill. They didn't even see it was a hill. And all of a sudden, they're surrounded by many times their number. Churchill says of this that he survived in part because he would injured himself getting off a boat, and he couldn't swing a saber, so he was using a pistol. And so when dervish soldiers ran up to him, he shot him in the face. And they stopped coming. But I, here's the reason this book is a point. I'm going to read one more paragraph to you. And it's earlier than the part that Hugh has gone to. He describes the contrast between the dervish line and the British line. And here it is. The infantry filed, fired steadily and stodily without hurry or excitement, for the enemy were far away and the officers careful. Besides, the soldiers were interested in the work and took great pains. But presently the mere physical act became tedious. The tiny figures over the side of the slide of the backside seemed a little larger, but also fewer at each successive volley. The rifles grew hot, so hot that they had to be changed for those of the reserve companies. The Maxim guns exhausted all the water in their jackets. Now, cartridge cases, tinkling, it's its a factory, see? And they're moving, the British are moving in a factory, right? And all the time, out on the plain, on the other side, bullets were shearing through flesh, smashing and splintering bone, blood spouted from terrible wounds, Valiant men. At this point, by the way, Churchill has not referred to the British as brave. The book of Exodus is one of the central narratives of the Bible. It recounts the moment when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the Ten Commandments to guide their moral and religious freedom. But how well do you actually know the story? In Hillsdale College's new, free, online course, The Exodus Story, you'll learn the spiritual significance of the Old Testament's most epic book. In the Exodus story, Hillsdale College professor of English, Justin Jackson, picks up the biblical narrative where his course on Genesis ended. Join Dr. Jackson in learning about the nature of God's mercy, human freedom, and the relationship between the divine and man. Discover the beauty of God reclaiming the Israelites through his mercy and love in the Exodus story. To enroll today and secure your spot in this completely free online course, visit hillsdale.edu newcourse. That's N-E-W-C-O-U-R-S-E.
hillsdale.edu slash new course. Welcome back. The last segment. We're going to turn to current events in our update at the bottom of the hour. But Dr. Arn and I have to finish the river war and we've gone too long. But that passage he just read was both sad, tragic and prophetic. Dr. Arn, I, I mean, it, it, it's remarkable that the man who would save the world 50 years later, 50 years after this charge, Hitler will blow his brains out in a bunker in Berlin. And the two events are connected. That's right. And and remember this thing i'm going to read the 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 bit in this is a single paragraph and he's describing the british soldiers of which he is one as working a factory their work is tedious to them and then he turns to the dervishes charging and all the time out on the plain on the other side bullets were shearing through flesh smashing and splintering bone blood spouted from terrible wounds valiant men were struggling on through a hell of whistling metal, exploding shells, and spurting dust, suffering, despairing, dying. Such was the first phase of the Battle of Omdurman. Now, you see, just think of him. Think what his life is like. He, he goes, he's even there in near disobedience to orders from the highest authorities in the land. And he knows he's about to go into action, and he's looking forward to it. He likes it. But he sees this, and, you know, he, he respects these dervishes, although he cannot bear their political or social system. The women are all owned, stuff like that he talks about. But he sees this, and he sees a horror because he sees that both sides can have weapons like this. And then what will happen? What will, how much will it count that some people are brave when everybody's got this stuff? And, he and, and I asked the audience to think about this. He's 25. He's already been yeah. to Afghanistan and Cuba. He's watching this. and He's 25 years old, and he writes this book at 20, 29. And... What a remarkable formative experience. It might inform as to whom we want to lead us in the future to look back at what they experienced in their 20s. Because he's never going to forget this, right? I don't know if he ever held forth, if, if Martin Gilbert and you ever sat around and whether he would tell, tell tales of Omdurman. But it's so, for someone who would then crawl around between the wires in World War One, he'd go out in the no man land after he got fired after Gallipoli, and then he'd come back, and then he would stand on top of, of roofs during Battle of Britain, and bombs would fall. He had absolutely no fear. He must have been a fatalist about the bullet having his name on it or not. Well, no, he was just brave. He was, you know, he's, he, when he got around conflict of all kinds, his spirit rose up. You know, he was, he was a very fierce parliamentary debater, although self-controlled, very effective. But yeah, he and you have to, you know, this is we're going to read some more later Churchill, right? This is a great place to start with Churchill on war, because this is where I first saw his central theme. But it is his central theme. And you'll see it all over the First World War and the Second World War. You'll see it in his speeches when he's war, war, uh, warning, we've got to get the weapons together to deter this guy because we're going to wrench the life out of each other if we don't. You see, in other words, it's not, I like to fight, let's go get them. 
There's never that with him. And so that's, that's the misunderstanding. And, and, and see, that means that there's wisdom in this. There's prudence in this because he saw the urgent need to mitigate the cost of war. And he was good at war. And that makes yeah. him, a, you know, we've got to get ready to do something about the Chinese. Where can we, they have four times our population. Where can we learn how to do that? It's right here. And we cannot be the dervishes to the Chinese and the Chinese cannot be the dervishes to us. We have to, well, Reaganism is actually Churchillism, isn't it? Which is prepare for peace and keep your you know, pray for peace and keep your powder dry. Build up your armaments, build up your arsenal, uh, deter, right? Deter. And yeah. Churchill you know, believed you, in you that. Think, I'm, I'm not a popular uh, figure among some of our more ardent war Republicans because I don't know if it's a good transaction to go street to street in a village far off and gone from somewhere. And, and I do know it's not that expensive in life, uh, you know, relatively speaking, but it is very expensive in money. And, and can we afford that when we're straightened, you see? If you read The River War, you will be as cautious as Dr. Arn is. And, and now we move to current events. The River War is our first book. Next week, we go to Great Contemporaries and we'll bridge the gap from 1899 to the present. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.